Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. Really want to thank you for tuning in again, and I invite you to go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews to give us a rating and review and let us know what you thought about the show. Love hearing from our listeners, and today I have an amazing guest for you. His name is Mick. Carell. He's president at Genospace. Mick has done a fabulous amount of work in the space that he's currently in. He's held several different roles. What I want to do is, is give Mick a warm welcome and have him as the expert dive into what they do at this amazing company. Mick, welcome to the podcast. Hey, well, thank you, Saul. It's a, a real pleasure to, to talk to you today. And you know, thanks again for inviting me on the show. Absolutely, Mick. So maybe we can walk through a little bit of what you guys are up to at Genospace for the listeners. Yeah, sure. So, you know, Genospace is a software company. We're based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And really what we focus on is the application of genomics in medical care. So there's kind of two parts to what we do. On the one hand, we're trying to help make genomic information useful to doctors and and nurses and patients at the point of care. So powerful technology, complicated. How do we use these resources to help the individuals involved to to make better treatment decisions? That's one part of it. At the same time, though, we really recognize that, that this is kind of a special opportunity, that we shouldn't think about genomics just like any other laboratory test. And we're really trying to capture the detail. So as we, as we apply genomics in mainstream medicine, how do we actually enable this to fuel more of a, of a learning healthcare system? How do we capture the details from this routine practice to help build and aggregate better data sets that can drive future research development and application? It's really interesting, Mick. You guys have done some really cool things, matching patients to trials, population analytics. I mean, you guys are really diving into some some pretty cool things and even getting deep into like molecular pathology reporting. I mean, super fascinating, but I want to take it back to the genesis of it all, to why Mick is in, in medicine. What is it that got you into this field? You know, it's been an evolution over time. You know, when I started out, you know, pretty early in life, I was really drawn to biology. In a lot of ways, it really wasn't even much of a question for me. You know, when I thought about the different things that I could study and, and apply myself to, the science of life was just incredibly attractive to me. I mean, I've always kind of like to think about the big questions, you know, who we are, why we're here. Kind of midway through my education, I, I stumbled into computational biology and I was blown away. I'm like, this is it. This is going to change the world. Moved out to Cambridge, started working at a, at a startup company in, in, in the bioinformatics field. And initially, it was more on the, on, the, on the research side of things. So it was more oriented towards you know, pharmaceutical target identification development. It was cool. It was really interesting, but it was also felt a little bit abstract to me. So I was, I was drawn more towards the clinical application side of things. It really, all that sort of gelled together when I, when I started working at Dana-Farber. I can tell you, I mean, you know, when I'd come into work every day at the Farber, 
I'd kind of come up to the third floor and I'd walk past the, the Jimmy Fund Clinic, which is the, the pediatric oncology unit. And when you work in a place like that, you never question why you're coming to work every day. You know, I, I've, always, I've always loved the science, but kind of having that, that feeling of kind of more direct connectivity to how and why what you're doing is, is actually helping to, you know, impact you know, individual people's lives is, is uh, sort of what brought me to it. I think that's so cool, Nick. And, you know, you, you came from the science background and research, and then you get to the point where you're constantly reminded, you know, when, when you have a clinic right there, every time you walk into work, you're reminded of why you're doing what you do. And fast forward to today with this amazing solution that you guys have built. I'm just curious, what do you think in the array of different things that are out there for leaders to focus on should be that one thing that leaders should be focused on today in improving outcomes? You know, I'll, I'll give you what's probably a little bit of a, of a long-winded answer here. So listen, obviously, I think genomics and understanding the molecular basis of disease is a big deal. I mean, I think this is going to change the entire practice of medicine. At the same time, you know, I think there's something bigger going on as well. In, in a lot of ways, I think it can be best captured under this umbrella of, of synthetic biology. You know, I think you combine the capabilities of genomics, and I use that term broadly, that's given us this incredible microscope to really understand what's happening in our cells at a molecular level. But observation isn't enough necessarily, right? I think what, what gets me so excited about synthetic biology is in the past, we had these really crude tools for manipulating biological systems. And synthetic biology is a game changer in the sense that now we have these really precise ways to manipulate these biological molecules. And the reason I think it's so important is that it's moving biology away from being simply an observational science to, to more of an engineering discipline that now we can, we can take this machine apart and put it back together again. The reason I think this is so important is I think this is going to be an incredible source of innovation. I don't think that, I think we're, we're already starting to see some of this hitting the clinics. When you think about CAR T therapies and the resurgence of gene therapy, when I look ahead, I think we are going to have a flood of new treatment capabilities that are fueled by this. And I think that, so how this intersects with the healthcare system then is I don't think innovation is going to be our challenge. I think it's going to be how do we disseminate that innovation and how do we actually get a better understanding of how to use these tools, how and when and where are they actually effective? Because trials aren't going to get you there, right? It doesn't, even our biggest and our best trials, they're pretty effective at understanding safety profile and establishing that something has efficacy. But the reality is most drugs don't work in most people. And I think we need, from a system-wide perspective, to get much better at measuring and tracking what's working where so that we can become much more you know, focused and targeted about. This is wide implications. You know, it's, you know, I think there's a lot of capability out there. Stuff's going to be expensive. We've got to get a lot smarter about how and when and where to use these kind of tools. Mick, I love your passion. You are a gentleman that really understands this stuff and you're so passionate about it from the first time we connected to now. I just, uh, I love it, man. Every time we talk, I get energized. And I think you, you sort of nailed it on the head here with the thought that innovation is not going to be the problem. 
it's implementing this innovation and disseminating this stuff. That's going to be the challenge of this century and how we're going to push forward our, our healthcare system. As a leader, Mick, what do you do? You know, as a, as a leader provider, as a leader payer, as a leader, let's just say med tech space or med device space, how do you digest this? What do you do with these capabilities that are going to flood in? I think across the board, I really think it comes down to being much more purposeful about what does success look like and how are we going to know when we see it, right? I mean, we can talk about improving outcomes. Well, how, what do we actually mean by that? How are we measuring that? And then I think getting across the board, both an individual perspective, I've, you know, I, I think there, there's a ton of potential in wearables and, and devices that, that people themselves can get involved in, all the way to the systems themselves. I mean, I think, you know, I think every stakeholder has a role to play here. But I think that, that like you said, I mean, I think it's, it's going to be in the implementation and the dissemination. But I think the key is going to be how are we actually going to longitudinally track and measure the, the factors that we're, we're trying to optimize around? I think from the from the, you know, from the med tech software side of things. That's a clear area for innovation. Doctors don't, you know, we've turned some of the most, you know, valuable actors in the whole system, we've turned them into data coders and, and <laughs> data capture machines. They, yeah. they don't like it. No, um, not at all. <laughs> you, they don't like it at all. It's a problem. They gotta, you know, there's a more, the more important job for them to be playing. I think, you know, I think from our electronic medical record systems, from clinical workflows. I mean, I think, again, you know, it, there's a lot of different ways to come about it, but I think being more purposeful about really thinking about what are the endpoints we're trying to optimize around? And then how do we capture them so that we can, there's a million tools to throw at this, but if you don't understand, if you don't understand what you're trying to optimize on, then most of your models are, you know, going to be pretty weak. I love that, Mick. And it, it just really is the basics, right? Blocking and tackling. Understand what you're going after. You're exactly right. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of the data capture we do revolves around billing. It's optimization of, uh, of billing systems, not around health outcomes. Yeah. And then the other thing too, right? So based on that topic, Mick, these big health uh, EMR, EHR systems are big billing tools. They're not really outcome tools. And so what are we doing to optimize these technologies to help improve outcomes? I think shifting that measurement from billing to outcomes improvement is going to be key. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think at that point of care, I mean, you know, it's being able to understand why did someone come to a doctor? What did we do? And how did it work? Just those basic elements are something that we don't capture very well. I think, you know, the only other, other, other layer on top of that then is we've got to be able to exchange that data in a pretty precise way. We've got a really fragmented healthcare system. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, you know, when, when I think about even like getting my medical records, I don't know where I'd start. I've been to so many yeah. different doctors nice. and hospitals and systems across my life. I probably don't even remember half of where they are. Half of them mm -hmm. may not even exist anymore. So it isn't like people are just staying in a single system their whole lives. I think they're moving around between lots of different sources. So I think, you know, we've certainly seen that there's a lot of power at an individual level that people can be a real force of change here, that the natural aggregator of your medical history is you. <laughs> that it, but but that, that's going to depend on the systems having captured valuable data in the first place and then having mechanisms that they can exchange it and make it accessible to each other and, and back to the individuals themselves. 
Yeah, I think that's such a great point, Mick. Can you dive into, let's zoom into the Genospace activities, and can you share with the listeners a way that you guys have helped improve outcomes? I think some of them are really, really clear and direct. I can tell you one of the things that really gets the team here um, really jazzed and, and, and proud of the work we do is when we get these, these stories back from the clinics. So from you know, the work we're doing uh, with our molecular pathology partners, a lot of times they'll share with us these anecdotes. They'll say, listen, I had a tough case come in, had you know, a really interesting you know, set of you know, molecular characteristics I was seeing in that tumor. I mean, most of the work we do is in cancer. And they'll say, you know what, using your tool, I came across a drug or a clinical trial that had been recently approved and was associated with those mutations. And you know, I was able to come back and give that doctor and that patient an option that you know, without you, I, I might not have ever found. So those are really clear examples of just where the tool is helping to use this rich information source to help inform what some of the different options might be. I think on the other on the other side, a little bit harder to measure some of the research aspects of things. I think with our tools, though, we've done a lot in making making the information more actionable and computable. A key thing for us is thinking a lot about data models. Um, I think it's you know one of the one of our real differentiators is how we structure information has a lot of implications on what we can do with it. And I think we've taken a pretty innovative approach there. So uh, being able to make those kind of bring those insights into the clinic, but then in an ongoing way, capturing in a much deeper way and rendering that body of, of facts to drive research is, is sort of the, uh, the other end. But I think it could take more time, I think, for that to, to fully mature, but we're seeing some early signs of it. Oh, that's really interesting, Mick. And uh, you guys are really taking a detailed, uh, very interesting approach in, in how you guys formulate these data sets. It's, it's pretty interesting to see your company and your team really dive into the details of this because it, it will make a difference. And, and I'm curious, you know, you've done a lot of really great things. Tell us about a time when, when something didn't go the way you wanted it to and what you took from that. Well, I mean... <laughs> There, there have been plenty of mistakes along the way. I'm sure we all have, we all make them, and I think that's when we learn the most. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think there is is one instance that that really stands out in my mind. So there was a point in in the development of our company in the not in the not too distant past when there was a pretty significant change around the reimbursement of these oncology tests, of these molecular tests in oncology. And at the time, I got a call from, from one of our customers. It was you know, also a close relationship and, and had become you know, we're a, a friend of mine. And he called me, he said, you know, I don't know if you saw this or not, but this is a big deal. This is going to be something that's going to have a, a big impact on us and I think on you too. And sort of registered a little bit at the time, but Sometimes it's hard to really see like sort of how a change in one part of the system is going to directly impact what you're doing. And I think to, to a large extent, I mean, a lot of our philosophy has been that, that, that your own ability to execute is far and away going to be the most important factor in success, right? So it's, it's not just having a good idea. It's, it's the execution. It's the doing it, right? And so to some extent, we were kind of like heads down, like, yeah, listen, it's a change. And it, it feels like it's so far away from us that it isn't really going to you know, impact us. So not only did we kind of just continue on the course, but we kind of like doubled down. We like really accelerated our efforts in that space. And you know, sure enough, four or five months later, it was a really challenging place to be working in. It was, a, it was yeah. just a strong headwind as a small company. 
And I just looked back on it. It was like, listen, I, I missed the signal. You know, it was there. I mean, somebody actually called me and de- hand delivered it to me. <laughs> and I missed it. Wow. And what happened, Mick? Did they just cut reimbursement for those tests or what exactly happened there? Yeah, I mean, so the change was, you know, prior to that was sort of this stopgap mechanism. There was like this code stacking approach. The, the real change, I mean, it was on the one hand, it was positive in the sense that they were recognizing the, the validity of these multi-gene panel tests and actually giving it a code. So it's good. I mean, this is, you know, basically accepting the clinical utility of the test. But at the same time, the reimbursement rate that got set for it was really low. Gotcha. So it, it was just going to be, and that clinical sequencing is kind of a linchpin for what we do, right? And so it just introduced, I think, an economic headwind hmm. that didn't immediately, you know, it was it was a couple hops away from us, but you know, you play that forward four or five months and it, it had, an, you know, a challenging effect on the landscape. So what did you learn from this? How did you guys pivot? Where are you guys now? So, I mean, what I learned from it was, you know, I, I think there, there, I do believe there's merit to that heads down execution approach. At the same time, it really impressed upon me the importance of how that needs to be modulated by the macro trends in your industry. I think healthcare especially is one that is subject to pretty wild swings based on, you know, intervention and regulation. I think, you know, we're seeing some of that right now, right? I mean, I think, you know, government and other actors can really significantly influence the way the whole marketplace works. I think especially when you're, you know, a growing enterprise without deep pockets, you got to be paying attention to that stuff. Um, You need to modulate what you're doing based on some of those larger factors. That was an important learning from me. I mean, I think what it forced us, I mean, it did force the company to make somewhat of a pivot that, you know, I think we had always kind of preserved optionality of what we were doing. We tracked at that point. We saw that the, the, the clinical lab space was going to be challenging, and, and we tracked hard towards the health systems and went all in on that and said, listen, we gotta, this is going to be a tough place to play. We, gotta, we need to think about how our tools can be applied kind of in other parts of the system. And we went after the health networks in a big way. And, you know, ultimately that was uh, going after those groups. That's ultimately what the acquisition uh, of the company. That's really cool. And Mick, I really love this story that you told because there is merit, like you said, to putting your head down and just grinding and staying focused on your goals. But in this space that we're all in, listeners, this space of healthcare, it is so important to realize that these macro trends, these changes in policy, these decisions that get made can truly impact our business models in a big way. Take this pearl from Mick and make sure that you take into consideration these changes. Don't just ignore them. So the acquisition that Mick is talking about is that they pivoted, they refocused, and they were acquired recently. uh, How long ago was it? It was January of this year. January of this year. So you guys were acquired by uh, hospital, HCA, right? Yep. So it was uh, Sarah Cannon, which is the Cancer Institute for HCA. Amazing. So something that was so challenging for you, Mick, you and your team turned around and started focusing on these larger networks, which not easy to get into, but you guys pivoted, went for it. They saw the value of it and acquired you. It was an exciting time in the company. I mean, I think we had been... Sarakan was a group that we had been involved in discussions with for many years. And just at the point where, you know, things were starting to get challenging in the in the lab space, 
an opportunity came up to kind of get back in discussions with them. And I think one of the most fateful decisions we made is we went all in on it. I basically stopped work on everything else in the company. I said, we just got to win this. This is where we have to win right now. And we put everything we had into really proving to them that we had the capabilities and technology to really significantly impact where they were going and how they could get there. Nick, I think that what you did, that decision of saying, okay, I'm going to stop working on everything else because I see this as a priority. I see this as a strategic place to focus is a skill that is so valuable in a leader. And for the listeners running health systems and, and companies and you know insurance plans, what is your focus? And having the ability to turn everything else off and focus on that one or two things is going to be pivotal to your success. Mick, such an exciting time. And uh, kudos to you for being able to say, all right, this is where it's at. I'm going to focus. Was there any fear behind your decision? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I guess what was the fear would be a better question, right? I mean, I think the whole, you know, the whole experience of running a startup is just an emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be terrifying sometimes, right? I mean, like you don't, there's no playbook. You don't know at the time if you're making the right decision or not. So yeah, and, and I think you've, you, there's a lot on the line, right? I mean, I think, you know, it's, you've built these relationships with your, with your customers and they're depending on you. You've got all the people that work there and they're putting their heart and soul into it every day. And, you know, sometimes it's as a leader, sometimes you have to make some of those tough calls and fears, you know, you, you've got a lot of people depending on you and you don't want to let them down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. And you got to have the courage to say, you know, I see, I see this, I hear the music and I know this is where it's going. And then just going for it, not hesitating, just making a decision. Mick, I, I wish we had more time. We're going to have to keep moving here. Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 or the ABCs of Mick Corral. And so let's write a syllabus together. I'm going to ask you four lightning round questions, and then finish it up with a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Yep. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Easy. Systematically measure and track them longitudinally. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? You've got to understand clinical implementation and economics. Who's going to use your product and why? And understand the flow of dollars. It's not easy to do in healthcare, but if you don't understand that, it's going to be a real uphill battle. Love that one. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Solve the hardest problems or at least try to. What is one area of focus that should drive all else in your organization? For us, keeping science at the center has been important. It's been one of the defining characteristics of our culture. It's how we attract and retain our people. Being passionate about the domain is a lot of times why they're here. And, you know, being data-driven and disciplined about what we do is at the center of it. Finally, Mick, what is that favorite book that you would recommend for the listeners and put on the syllabus? That was probably the hardest question, Saul. You know, I love to read. I don't read a lot of business books. In fact, I I like to read fiction and for fun. So it's not on the syllabus, but, you know, my favorite book of all time, my Desert Island book, Infinite Jest. What is it called? Almost 20, you know, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. And what's it about? It's one of the most kids. Boy, it's about a lot of different things. It's a big, sprawling, complex book. But in terms of kind of understanding, you know, what it means to be a a citizen of this country at this time and place in history, I feel like it just brings so much perspective. I love it. You know, it's my favorite book. That is awesome. Well, 
listeners, I will definitely have to pick that one up. I encourage you to do it as well. Go to outcomesrocket.com slash Mick. That's M-I-C-K. And you're going to get all of the show notes to everything that we just discussed today, details, and also links to Mick's company, the things that they're up to, as well as this book that he just mentioned. Mick, really want to thank you for being on. Before we part, I want to ask you to just share one closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get a hold of you. You know, my closing thought is kind of where I started, synthetic biology. I think I would encourage all the listeners to think for a few minutes about what it's going to mean when when we've gained mastery of, of the molecules of life. I think it has ethical considerations way beyond healthcare. And I think as a society, we got to start having this dialogue. So think about it. Best place to find me, I'd say, you know, info at Genospace. They'll make it to me. Outstanding, Mick. Listen, I really appreciate your thoughtfulness and uh, the words of wisdom you've shared and the stories. I know that, that it's going to resonate with the listeners and, and I really uh, will be keeping track of what you guys are up to because it's so exciting and definitely be thinking about synthetic biology. So Mick, thank you so much for making the time to be on the podcast today. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 